1: Welcome to the pastor's study. Let's go back in time to the year 700 BC. So we're going back around 2700 years. A prophet by the name of Isaiah has a revelation. And he starts writing about someone he calls the servant of God. And this servant is kind of a mysterious figure. He will come and suffer for the sins of others. I don't think Isaiah quite knew who he was prophesying about, but in about 33 AD, when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled Isaiah. All right, let's move from 700 BC to about 30 AD. Jesus begins his three-year public ministry by going into the synagogue of his hometown, Nazareth, and he reads from Isaiah chapter 61, and he says to the crowd, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the servant of the Lord that Isaiah prophesied about. And it says, and the people wondered at him. Well, here's what we're going to do in this half hour. How can I become a servant of God? We're going to see that Jesus is the servant of God, par excellence, and fulfilled Isaiah 61. But in a secondary sense, if we're serving the Lord, we also too will fulfill Isaiah 61. So would you take out a Bible, turn in the Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 61, and let's pray first. Father, we want to be servants of God. We want to serve you. And Lord, we pray now, teach us through these old words how we can also be servants of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 61. Again, this comes from about 700 B.C. Isaiah chapter 61, starting at verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Let's stop here. That was mostly fulfilled when Jesus came. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit when John the Baptist baptized him and the dove came down upon him. So the first step in becoming a servant of God is, a servant of God is filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you say that? I'm, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, have you been water baptized? Acts chapter two says be baptized and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you've never been baptized, you need to be baptized. And then Jesus said in Luke 11, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So do you ever ask, God fill me with the Holy Spirit? The first step of becoming a servant of God is A servant of God is filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't try to serve God without having the Holy Spirit. And yes, as a Christian, the Holy Spirit never leaves you, but the Bible says you can quench the Holy Spirit, you can grieve the Holy Spirit, so pray, Jesus said, for the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's kind of like this. You might have a nice car, it might look fine, but if there's no gas in the tank, it's not going anywhere. Well, you might, might want to serve the Lord and do things for the Lord, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not gonna serve the Lord. Let me tell you the story of a man who learned the hard way that you need to be filled with the Spirit before you try to serve God. The man's name was John Wesley. Please listen to this story. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church, born in England in 1703. Wesley desired to cross the ocean to preach the Gospel to the Indians in America. He and his brother Charles began a treacherous journey to do so, and I'm quoting from Wesley's diary. Our goal in leaving England was not to gain riches in America, but to save our souls, to live holy for the glory of God. In other words, Wesley wasn't sure he was saved when he went to become a missionary. And then he explains the daily routine on ship. From 4 in the morning until 5 at night, we used private prayer. For, excuse me, from, from 4 in the morning till 5 in the morning, each of us had private prayer. From 5 to 7 in the morning, we read the Bible together. At 7, we had breakfast. At 8 were the public prayers. From 9 to 12, I usually learned German. There were Germans on board. Uh, at 12 noon, we met to give an account to one another of what we had done since our last meeting. About 1 a, uh, p.m., we had uh, lunch. At four were the evening prayers, and the children on board were taught. From five to six, we again had private prayer. From six to seven, I read in the cabin to two or three of the passengers. At seven, I joined with the Germans in their public service. At eight, we met together to instruct one another. Between nine and ten, we went to bed. (laughs) In other words, Wesley was real religious, but... Uh, sometimes the waves would come over the ship, and he was afraid to die. Let me read this. Uh, I worshipped with the Germans, and in the middle of the psalm reading, the sea broke over, split the mainsail sail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks, as if the great deep had swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. The Germans calmly sang on. I asked one of them afterwards, Were you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, No. I asked, but were not your women and children afraid? He replied, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. <laughs> All right, they land in G- Georgia. Wesley is going to uh, go preach to the Indians, but one of the German pastors asked Wesley, John, do you have the witness within yourself? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Wesley writes, I was surprised, I knew not how to answer. The pastor observed this and said, do you not know Jesus Christ, John? I replied, I know he is the savior of the world. True, replied Spannenberg, but do you know he has saved you? I answered, I I hope he has died to save me. Well, Wesley's trip to America was a failure. Uh, He wanted to preach to the Indians, but angry parishioners in Savannah drove him out of the country, and he had had to sail back to England, and he writes this about his trip back. I went to America to convert the Indians, but, oh, who shall convert me? Who, what is he that will deliver me from this evil heart of mischief? I can talk well, nay, and believe myself while there is no danger, but let death look me in the face, and my spirit is troubled. So he gets back to London and then the famous night. Maybe you've heard of Wesley's conversion. Here we go. He writes, In the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldergate Street where one was reading Martin Luther's preface to the letter to the Romans. About a quarter before nine that night, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he has taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Finally, Wesley knew he was saved. The fear of death left him, and whereas before his ministry was fruitless, now, John Wesley is used to start one of the greatest revival movements in the history of the church, the Methodist revival. Thousands of people came to Christ through John Wesley's traveling in, um, uh, all over England and in America. So, the first step of being a servant of God is, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Don't try to serve God without having the Holy Spirit. And again, how do you get the Holy Spirit? Acts chapter two, be baptized and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Luke 11, how much more will the Father give the Spirit to those who ask him? So if you haven't been water baptized, call a church and say, I need to get baptized. And then you ask for the fullness of the Spirit. Next step in becoming a servant of God. Now we're back to Isaiah 61 that Jesus was reading in the synagogue. The Spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. First step in being a servant of God, you get the Holy Spirit. Second step is a servant of God witnesses. You bring good news to the afflicted. Listen to what Wesley did after he learned that he was saved by grace. I began to declare the glad tidings of salvation, preaching three times this Sunday... The next day I went to the condemned felons in Newgate and offered them free salvation by faith in the blood of Christ. In the evening I went to a society in Beer Yard and preached repentance and forgiveness of sins. The next evening I spoke the truth and love at a society in Aldersgate Street. Some contradicted at first, but not long. <laughs> Once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you start witnessing. Jesus said in Acts chapter at 1, Disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power and become my witnesses. I'm thinking of a man I, I knew who uh, worked at a very anti-Christian workplace, but then he gets saved. He starts going to work, talking to these people about Jesus. They don't like it, but he keeps doing it. <laughs> because when you become a servant of God, you start witnessing. Yes. Look at the next step in becoming a servant of God, verse uh, 2. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Third thing a servant of God does, a servant of God heals the brokenhearted. Now Jesus did this more than anybody. He could take a messed up woman with seven demons and turn her into Mary Magdalene. He could take the pompous son of thunder, and turn him into the apostle of love, John. He could take the legalistic Saul and turn him into the apostle Paul. He could take the prostitute at the well and turn her into the first evangelist to Samaria. And God God does this stuff. He heals the brokenhearted and then uses them for his glory. As I was preparing these sermons here, just two women, older women, came to mind, one of whom has been going through a lot. And it just seems to me, I, should, I haven't talked to these ladies for a long time, but I just picked up the phone, called them, how you doing? You know, just, just talked with them for a while. One thing God does when you're a servant of God, he uses you to heal the brokenhearted. Can you think of somebody this week you should write a note to, take to lunch, give a phone call to? We got this uh, prayer request. Please pray that the Lord will take me to himself now, exclamation point. I don't want to live here anymore. Sad, brokenhearted people everywhere. Pray the Lord will use you to heal them. The next thing a servant of the Lord does, you're filled with the spirit, you witness, you heal the brokenhearted. Fourth thing it says that Jesus did. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Next thing. A servant of God sets captives free. Jesus did this when he cast demons out, when he healed people, and we are to do this too. Listen to what John Wesley did, uh, again, from his diary. At St. Thomas Parish was a young woman, raving mad, screaming and tormenting herself continually. I had a strong desire to speak to her. The moment I began, she was still. Tears ran down her cheeks all the time I was telling her, Jesus Christ is able and willing to deliver you. So a servant of God is filled with the Spirit, witnesses, heals the brokenhearted, sets the captives free. Here's the next thing a servant of God does. Look at verse 2. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of the Lord's vengeance and to comfort all who mourn. Here's the next thing a servant of God does. A servant of God preaches the Lord's favor and the Lord's vengeance in that verse. In other words, you preach heaven and hell. You preach the law and the gospel, favor and vengeance. You you preach them both. I'm a Lutheran pastor. Probably the best thing I learned at my Lutheran seminary was the proper distinction between law and gospel. Martin Luther was was big on this. We have to preach the law, God's law, and we have to preach God's gospel, the good news. Let me explain how you do this. Years ago, I spoke at a Christian university on a Wednesday night. I preached that the Bible teaches if you're having sex outside of marriage, you're sinning. You need to repent of that. That week, a, a college woman comes in, sits down, well, Tom, I heard you preach that this week, but I want you to know my boyfriend and I are in love. We have a loving, committed relationship. Nothing is wrong with what we're doing. So I said to her, well, let's see. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, who wrote that? Well, the, the Apostle Paul wrote that. Well, when was that written? Oh, about 2,000 years ago Well times have changed Nothing's wrong with what my boyfriend and I are doing I said really let's see again uh, Fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God She was hard hearted So I just preached God's law to her And she kind of left in a huff Same week Different Betty Ann comes into the office. Well, Tom, I heard what you preached, and my boyfriend and I, well, and she burst into tears, and, and, and Betty Ann, are you sorry? Oh, I'm sorry. Do you want to repent and ask God to forgive you? Oh, I sure do. And I, I didn't preach the law to her. She already knew the law in her conscience. So for her, you just preach the gospel, and Jesus has died for this sin. Confess it. He'll forgive you and give you a new start. We are to preach the law to afflict the comfortable, We are to preach the gospel to comfort the afflicted. So, and you know the amazing thing? Um, uh, Connie, the first girl, months later came in. Her boyfriend had kicked her out. She broke into tears. She learned the hard way that the law is right, and she repented. But we are to preach the year of the Lord's favor and his vengeance, the law and gospel, heaven and hell. All right. One last characteristic of a servant of God. Skip down to verse 10. Here we go. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For God has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom, decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. The last characteristic of a servant of God, a servant of God rejoices that God has saved him. In in my prayer time this morning, God, I thank you for my nice warm bed in cold Minnesota. Thanks I have a nice house to live in. Thanks I've got health and friends and family. But God, you know the thing I pray most this morning that I'm thankful for? Thank you that out of all the people in the world, you chose to save me and you washed me of my sins through the blood of Christ and you clothed me with the robe of his righteousness Thank you, God, that you have saved me. Have you ever thanked God for saving you? Well, let's, let's summarize this now. We're done. Are you a servant of God? Let me ask you some questions. Do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Do you ever witness to other people? Do you ever heal the brokenhearted? Does, does God ever use you to set the captives free? Do you proclaim God's law and God's gospel? And do you rejoice in your salvation? Those are the characteristics of a servant of God. Again, it's so important to know you've got the Holy Spirit before you try to serve the Lord. And if you're not water baptized, ask the pastor to baptize you. And then Luke 11, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Don't be a John Wesley. Don't try to serve the Lord without the Spirit get filled with the spirit and serve the Lord. Amen.
2: Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, my first question for you today is who exactly was Isaiah?
1: Isaiah was one of the Old Testament prophets He lived about, let me see, I wrote this down. Um, Isaiah lived about 740 B.C. He prophesied in Jerusalem. And so, Jackie, it's important that every Christian has a good either study, Bible, or commentary. Because when you read the book of Isaiah, you want to start by reading an intro. When was this written? By whom? To whom?
2: And before Christ.
1: Oh, 700 years before Christ. Yep.
2: So, I mean... It's almost amazing to think that there were people that knew a Christ was coming yes. that long before oh, he came. Yes.
1: Now, again, there is a verse in the New Testament that the prophets, as they were prophesying, inquired, "Who or what, you know, who, are there, who is this that I'm prophesying?" prophet? So I don't think he understood that Jesus was going to come and die on the cross, even though in Isaiah 53, he prophesied it was going to happen. So yeah, it, this thing gradually happens to okay. be revealed.
2: Did the old testament prophets understand who they were prophesying? Oh, right,
1: and let's do that. I, I should have read it's first Peter chapter one, verse eleven. Listen to this. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace which would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So yeah, they prophesied it. They didn't quite understand it until it was all accomplished.
2: Okay. You've talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit, but just who exactly is the Holy Spirit? Yes. part of the Trinity.
1: Right, so the Bible teaches there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father is the creator, Son is Jesus the Holy Spirit is is God. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the eternal God, eternal with the Father and with Jesus.
2: But he's also the comforter, isn't he, for us? Yes,
1: yes. The word comforter means the called alongside one, or paraclete. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and walks us through life.
2: Okay. So is baptism necessary for salvation?
1: Well, you know, I just talked about how it's important to be water baptized, and it is, Jackie. I get nervous when I hear about Christians saying they believe and everything. They've never bothered to be baptized. In the book of Acts, when you became a Christian, you got baptized. So, and it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, Now corresponding to this, Noah and the ark, Baptism now saves you, not the washing of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience. So baptism's a big deal. When you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ's saving death. Now, can you be saved without baptism? Well, the thief on the cross was saved. Uh, So, yes, and we know he went to heaven because Jesus said, today you'll be in paradise. But I think had that thief on the cross been able to come down and get baptized, he would have gotten baptized. So, there you go.
2: Okay. So, what exactly does the Holy Spirit do in a Christian's life?
1: Well, he's the comforter or the called alongside one. When the Spirit of God comes to you, he will teach, lead you into all truth. So he teaches us the truth. Um, when the Spirit of God comes, he will convict the world of sin. So if you sin, he's the one inside that's telling you, you better repent of that. Uh, and, and he comforts, he teaches, he gives every Christian a spiritual gift, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's 19 different gifts. Uh, what else does the Holy Spirit do? No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What is that, First Corinthians 10? So you can't even believe in Jesus or confess him as Lord unless the Spirit is doing that work in your heart.
2: So if a person isn't sure that they're saved, does that mean they're
1: not a Christian? Well, look at John Wesley. He didn't know if he was saved or not when he went to try to be a missionary. Now, had he died on the ship on the way over, would he have been, I think it is possible for people to trust in Christ, I'll tell you a quick story. So, Jackie, I go to this lady at the hospital, who I think has been in church most of her life. Uh, Mrs. So-and-so, If just in case you don't make it through this operation, are you sure your first sins are forgiven you're going to heaven? Oh, I hope so. I said, well... I hope I've been good enough. I said, but Mrs. So-and-so, it doesn't work that way. We're not good enough. It's only by Christ's death on the cross, by trusting Christ that we'll be saved. And you know what she said? Oh, that's what I meant. <laughs> so, you know, I think you can be confused. I mean, we all have our doubts about our salvation. But so, yeah, I think you can be saved without the assurance of your salvation. But I don't want to live that way. What a miserable way to live. So, so and, and, and I should say, 1 John five thirteen. if you're not sure you're saved, claim 1 John 5.13.
2: So then can God use you if
1: you're not sure you're saved? Yes, he can. Uh, 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 Cyrus, the Old Testament pagan, was used by God to get the Jews back into the Promised Land. Um, God used Pontius Pilate. God used Caesar Augustus to get Mary and Joseph to Jerusalem and uh, Bethlehem in time. So God can use all kinds of pagan unbelievers, but you want to be used in the right way for the people's salvation. and. For that, you need the Holy Spirit.
2: So, I guess we've got about two and a half minutes Mm -hmm. left here, but I'm still confused about from the Old Testament teaching to the New Testament teaching. How did the Old Testament prophets know all of this was going to happen? Mm -hmm. I mean, did... God give them a foretold yes. knowledge you know, of all of it?
1: Sometimes they did hear an audible voice from heaven. You get that in the Old and New Testament, like the Book of Revelation. John hears a voice saying, Write this down. And in the Old Testament, there were times when the prophets would kind of hear this outside voice write it down. But Jackie, for a lot of the Bible, it was just God moving them in their context, in their historical moment to Paul writing a letter to the Romans, for instance. Did Paul know that would be Holy Scripture for the next 2,000 years? I doubt it, but God used him in that moment and then took that and used it as scripture. I think when when Isaiah was writing Isaiah 53 that predicts the crucifixion, did he know that would be scripture for the next 2,700 years? I doubt it, but God was overseeing the history of what's called the canon, the Old Testament, New Testament list.
2: Okay. I guess, can you answer one more thing, though? um, What do you think about home churches? Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, churches now are buildings and places and that, Mm -hmm. but originally, people met in homes. Yeah,
1: in the the Book of Acts, they met in homes because there there was persecution, for one thing, in the early church. You couldn't meet in a big building. But once the persecution stopped around 300 AD, they could build churches, and they, that's when they started to do that.
2: Yeah. Okay. But, so, the church is just a building, though. Isn't the church actually?
1: Right. Yeah, when the Bible talks about the church, they're not talking about the bricks. They're talking about the human beings that believe in Christ. That's the, the people are the church.
2: Okay. Well, we have a minute left here, and I just would like to take this opportunity to thank each and every one of you who watched this show. It's been a long time journey and (laughs) it has been fun and we've all changed and grown. You had dark hair.
1: I had hair. Yeah,
2: that's true. But we praise God that you are out there and that you appreciate the show and join us every week to see it. And we pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're all together again next time.
0: Thank you for watching the pastor study.